We've spent the last couple of months making our way through the book of Acts, looking at what we're calling the church on target and asking ourselves the question, what is the goal of the church? What is the target for the church? What are we aiming for? What are we aiming at? You know, COVID took a lot from us and COVID put a lot of things on hold for us, both as a church, we had to stop services for a while, we had to change the way we do things, and as individual Christians. And as things open back up, it's very important that we understand what our goal is. What is the goal of a church and what, are, what is the goal of a, of a Christian? It's not just to be here and hold services. There is a focus for what we do, what a, a focus for who we're called to be. Well, today we're going to wrap up the book of Acts for the summer. We're going to take a few weeks off or the, a few months off of the book of Acts, and we're going to move back into that later. But as we wrap up today, rather than focusing on the church itself, I want us to focus on who we are as individuals. Uh, what does it look like for you as a Christian to be on target? What qualities do you have? What character do you have? And we're going to see that through a person that we were introduced to last week. We're going to see that through the life of Stephen. This weekend marks the unofficial start of summer. We always call that the unofficial start of summer. A lot of activities this weekend, a lot of people doing a lot of fun stuff, going to a lot of fun places, eating a lot of fun food. Uh, that's important for this weekend also. One of my favorite things about summer is food. It, oddly enough, it's one of my favorite things about spring and fall and, uh, and even winter. I like food a lot when it comes to winter. I love our local, our local farmer's market that we have. You guys put in so much work. I mean, I don't know. It's amazing the things that we can get there and just how good everything is. There's fresh produce. There's wonderful baked goods, honey, and all kinds of things at the, at the farmer's market. We absolutely love that. One of my favorite things about summer is radishes. You know, I know you can get them in the store other times a year, but they just don't taste the same uh, if it's not summer to me. I, I remember going out in the garden with dad and he would he would cut the, pull the radishes and, and he would cut them and clean them and he would, he'd cut the tops off and then he would, he would give me the tops. <laughs> And there was always a little bit of red that you could nibble around that. Did he do that to you guys too? Yeah, a little, a little bit of red. You can nibble around there. Radish just, just tastes like summer to me. Now, here, here's, your little, here's your little lesson. Here's your little dictionary, your etymology lesson and all. Um, the word radish comes from the Latin, Latin word radix. Radix, that root word, radix actually means root. Because when you eat a radish, it is a root vegetable, you are eating the root. Don't eat the green part, that doesn't taste good. You eat the root. And so root, radix, radish, that's where the word radish comes from. It's the same root word in Latin where we get the word radical. Okay, we use the word radical to describe someone. Sometimes we use it in positive ways. Sometimes we use it in negative ways. But in its origin, the word radical meant someone who got to the root. You were radical if you got to the root of who you were, of, of what your faith is, of what you believe. When you take it to the root, the source of nourishment, the source of growth, the source of, uh, of everything great that can come from it. Uh, that was radical. Radical faith gets to the essence of our faith. Faith where it lives, where it is given its energy, where it receives its strength, and where it grows. 
And so when we look at someone like Stephen in the book of Acts, we see someone with radical faith, someone who went to the root of what he believed, the root of who he was, the root of what he was called to do. Now, make no mistake, that cost Stephen dearly. I mean, we are introduced to this man in, the, in, in Acts chapter 6. That's when we first meet Stephen. And by the end of chapter 7, he is stoned to death. He is killed. He, he just lives for two chapters for us. He's only there for two chapters. But if we're looking for a target, if we're looking for a goal, that's the kind of faith we're called to have, the kind of faith that we see in Stephen. When you dig to the root of your faith, it's there you find your strength to stand. And so today we're going to just, we're going to kind of survey Acts chapter 6 and 7. If you've got your Bibles with you, you can turn to Acts 6 and 7. We're going to bounce around a little bit. If you've got a cell phone with you, you've got a smartphone with you or some other device, you can get on the Bible app and you can look for the event today. That goes for those of you who are online also. And you can, you can follow along with the scriptures I'm going to use there. But we're looking at Acts chapter 6 and chapter 7. What are we told about Stephen? What kind of believer was he? What kind of qualities marked his life, his faith, his commitment? And how can we get to the root of our own faith? How can we find these qualities in ourselves? How can we encourage them in each other? When we're first introduced to Stephen, the first thing we're told is that Stephen was full of the Spirit and Stephen was full of wisdom. Last week, we looked at chapter 6. We looked at the calling of the seven. And if you remember from last week, there was a complaint that had arisen in the Jerusalem church. From the very beginning of the church, from Acts chapter 2, the church is looking out for each other. They're taking care of each other. They're feeding and providing for each other. They were caring for the widows in the church. They were supplying them with food. But by Acts chapter 6, the church has grown and it has expanded into new parts of town. And some people were being overlooked. And so the apostles gather the whole church together and they say, this isn't right. We have to take care of each other. These people need to be cared for. This need must be met. And in Acts chapter 6, verse 3, the apostles say, Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. What qualities were they looking for in these seven that would head up this ministry? They were looking for people who were full of the spirit and full of wisdom. Those two qualities, when they come together, something beautiful happens when those come together. Basically, they're saying we need people who are both practically minded they are practically minded and also spiritually minded. Practically minded because this job needs to be done and we need people who can do it efficiently. We need people who can make the best use of their time, the best use of their, of their energy, the people who can do this job to the best of their abilities. But spiritual also, full of wisdom and the spirit. Spiritual because anything that we do to serve, we are really giving to Jesus. We are serving Christ no matter how we serve. It's not about me. It's not about the person who is serving. It's not about how special we are or how deserving we are to be called to do these things. It's because we're giving ourselves to Jesus. Now, that's a, that's a delicate balance. But Stephen and the rest of the seven, the other six, uh, it was seen in them as they were chosen to serve. 
You know, the word wisdom is only used in the book of Acts four times. Only comes up four times. Two times it's used by Stephen. Stephen uses the word wisdom. And the other two times it's used of Stephen. It's used to describe him. When we talk about wisdom today, when we talk about wisdom in our world, we usually talk about this, uh, this innate understanding of, of how to get things done, of how things work together. We often draw a distinction between knowledge and wisdom. You know, knowledge is book learning and wisdom, that's street smarts. That's when you really know how things work. You know, knowledge, okay? Knowledge, knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit, right? Tomatoes are fruit. Knowledge is knowing that a tomato is a fruit. Wisdom is knowing that they do not belong in a fruit salad, right? You don't put a tomato in there. That, that's not where it belongs. Just because it's fruit, it's, it's not going into the fruit salad. Those of you who are watching online, I don't think the sound worked really well, but they busted out laughing when I said that here. They just, the place exploded with laughter when I told that little story. I'm sorry you missed it. We'll try to fix that later. They're making me look bad in front of the internet people. Come on. When we talk in the Bible about wisdom, we're talking about the way that we walk through life with our hearts and our minds tuned to the presence of God. The way that we walk through life with our, with our commitment to God in the forefront, our nearness to him, our desire to please him. When, when we focus on him, it changes the way that we act. It changes the way that we interact with others, and it changes the way we react to situations around us. In Acts chapter 6, verse 9, Stephen begins preaching. <laughs> he begins preaching his final message, and a dispute arises. People start disputing him as he's speaking. Acts chapter 6, verse 10 tells us, but they, the crowd that Stephen was speaking to, they could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit with which he was speaking. Did you hear that again? They could not withstand the wisdom and the spirit. These qualities were marks of his character. They were the result of his commitment. Now, the last thing I would want you to think is that there's no way you could have these qualities yourself. Last thing I'd want you to think is, well, Stephen's special and, and I don't get that kind of thing. I can't have that. I'm not that kind of person. Proverbs chapter four, verse five says, pursue wisdom. Other translations just say, get wisdom. Okay. And if it can be got, you can have it. If it can be pursued, if you can get it, you can have wisdom. We're going to spend this summer, by the way, going through the book of Proverbs. We're going to look at the, at the whole, well, not the whole book. We're going to look at several of the Proverbs in the book of Proverbs. Because when we pursue wisdom, what we discover is we're pursuing Jesus. We're pursuing God more and more. We're pursuing the character of Jesus. We're seeking the Holy Spirit's mark on our lives, full of the Spirit and full of wisdom. That doesn't just describe Stephen. It can describe you as well. Full of the Spirit and wisdom is a mark of radical faith in Jesus. And in Stephen's example, we also see the call for us to be full of faith and the Holy Spirit. The apostles tell the church, choose seven men full of the Spirit and full of wisdom. And then we have that list of the seven names. Stephen is listed first. And then we're given qualities that distinguish Stephen. In Acts chapter 6, verse 5, it's there that we read, and what they said pleased the whole gathering, and they chose Stephen a man full of faith and 
the Holy Spirit. Wow, first we're told that he is, along with the other six, that he is full of the Spirit and wisdom. And here we're told he is full of faith and the Holy Spirit. It's like you got a double dose of the Holy Spirit. But you know what? What got Stephen in trouble was his faith. What gets him in trouble is his faith. And faith is like that. Stephen's job with the rest of the seven, their job was to make sure that the Hellenistic widows had received their food, that they were cared for. But in chapter 7, Stephen is preaching. He's spreading the good news of Jesus. He's telling others about Jesus. He stopped just doing his job and he started growing in his calling, growing in his service and growing in his faith. And again, let me assure you, Stephen did not have some kind of supercharged faith that is unavailable to you. In in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 4, Paul reminds us there is one Lord, there's one Jesus. There is one Lord, there is one faith, and there is one baptism. No one gets the special reserve, reserved just for a few special people kind of faith. What Stephen did was he allowed his faith to guide his trust in Jesus. The reality is Stephen's faith was not a different kind of faith than what you have. What made Stephen's faith exceptional is that he was willing to trust Jesus. He was willing to take Jesus at his word. And he risked everything for the sake of Jesus and the church and his kingdom. And again, and again, the issue of full of faith is what gets Stephen killed at the end of chapter 7. That's what ended up getting him killed. He's full of faith. If he had just shut up, you know? If Stephen had just shut up and done his job, if he had kept his nose down, kept his, kept his, kept his head down, and, and just kept giving people their food and stayed out of trouble, he might still be alive to this very day. Probably not. Again, they, they burst out in laughter when I said that. I don't know what happened. But being full of faith means you take chances. Being full of faith means you speak up. You, you take a stand. And it also means that you receive a greater blessing. No matter what else you say about Stephen, you realize Stephen was blessed. And full of faith draws us closer to God, closer to Jesus. That's why it also says that he is full of the Holy Spirit. You go on into chapter 7 and you hear Stephen's speech before the council. And it's there that Stephen lays out who Jesus is. He starts with, he, he lays out all of Jewish history. He begins with Abraham and he takes them all the way through their history. And then he takes them to Jesus and shows them how Jesus is the fulfillment of every promise that God makes. He shows them their need for repentance and their need to trust and commit to Jesus. That does not go well. They don't respond well. And in Acts chapter 7, verses 54 and 55, we read, When they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. But he, Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. There it was again full of the Holy Spirit. Three times, three times that's said of Stephen. It's said because his faith moved him to step out. His faith moved him to serve in greater ways. His faith moved him to give himself fully to Jesus. Full of the Spirit and wisdom, full of faith and the Holy Spirit. And then the third example of this radical faith that we see in Stephen is that he is full of grace and power. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7 introduce us to the need of the church 
into the seven men who are going to meet that need. And then verse 8 describes how Stephen served beyond just his calling. Acts chapter 6, verse 8 says, And Stephen, full of grace and power, was doing great wonders and signs among the people. You know, we're never told how much time elapses between verse 7 and verse 8. I mean, it's just they're connected right there. But it could have been days, it could have been weeks, it, it might have even been a year or so between those two verses full of grace and full of power. The time that elapsed between Stephen and verse 7, distributing food, and verse 8, full of grace and power, doing great wonders. But I hope you understand, you don't get from verse 7, you don't get to verse 8 without going through verse 7. You don't get to grace and power without putting in a commitment to serve, a commitment to be there. And I don't know that I need to say this, but grace... We hear the word grace. Grace is not weakness. Grace is not about giving people a pass on their sin. Grace is not about pretending that everything is okay. We don't need to, don't need to address this. We don't need to worry about this. On the other end of Stephen's speech, you hear how he thunders against those who have seized him, those who are preparing to kill him. In Acts chapter 7, verses 51 through 53, Stephen concludes his message with these words. He says, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in hearts and ears, you always resist the Holy Spirit as your fathers did, so do you. Which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one, whom you have now betrayed and murdered. You who received the law as delivered by angels and did not keep it. Does that sound like weakness? It might not sound a lot like grace to you either though, but Stephen's life was so impacted by the grace of Jesus that he did not want anyone to miss out. There's an old story told about Dwight L. Moody. Dwight Moody was a preacher in the 1800s. He preached up in Chicago. In fact, you may have heard of the Moody Church or the Moody Bible Institute. Several years ago, I was in a meeting and plopped down next to an older, an older gentleman, scooted out a chair for me. I plopped down next to him. And while they're holding this meeting, he kept on elbowing me and talking to me and just engaging me. And he was a lot of fun. And I found out afterwards that it was Erwin Lutzer, the preacher at the Moody Church that I had sat down next to. A few weeks ago when I graduated finally from Lincoln, uh, our keynote speaker for the graduation was Ed Stetzer, a man who had served as the interim preacher at the Moody Church. The, the man who started all of that was Dwight L. Moody. And there's an old story told of Moody that he and a friend were out walking through Chicago one day and coming at them on the sidewalk was an old drunk staggering his way down the sidewalk. Pretty soon he staggered off to the side and the man fell into the into the gutter. Moody's companion looked at the man with scorn and derision. But Dwight Moody stopped and pointed at that man and said, There but for the grace of God go I. There but for the grace of God go I. Have you come to that point? Have you come to that point when you can see someone else's struggle? You can see someone else's pain. You can see someone else and, and the, the problems that they have. And you can say to yourself, if it were not for the grace of God, I would be going through the same problems. If it were not for God's grace, I would be exactly like that. 
First Timothy chapter one, verse 15 is where Paul tells us Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. Paul realized that he himself, he was the only one that knew his heart and where he had failed and where he needed grace. He was the one who knew that need the greatest. That's Paul's perspective on himself and his own need for grace. It needs to be our perspective also, as someone else has said, until you realize that you are the worst sinner you know, until you realize you are the worst sinner you know, you will never fully appreciate God's grace. You'll never completely experience his power. Stephen was full of grace and power. And we come to the end of chapter 7. The end of the chapter 7, the crowd begins to pick up rocks. They back Stephen up against the wall. There's a man there named Saul of Tarsus who is holding the cloaks and giving approval. He's, he's organized this ambush. And as they pick up rocks and as they prepare to throw, we read in verse, or as they begin throwing, we read in verse 59, and as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Where had he heard that? Where had he learned that? Oh, you know, Luke, who wrote the book of Acts, also wrote the gospel of Luke. Luke records in Luke chapter 23, verse 46, he records those as Jesus' last words. Receive my spirit. He had heard that from Jesus. Those aren't, those aren't Stephen's final words, though. In fact, the next verse gives us his final words. Verse 60, And falling to his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. Where did he hear that? Where did he learn that? Oh, he learned that from Jesus when the soldiers began crucifying him. See, that's radical faith. Radical faith that gets so close to Jesus that seeks the image of Jesus, not just in your service, not just in the good moments, but that seeks the image of Jesus in your pain, in your struggle, in your trials. Because when you dig to the root of your faith, it's there that you find the strength to stand. There's a fascinating statement about Stephen that's made as he begins to speak in Acts chapter 6, verse 15, as Stephen is beginning his speech. It says, and gazing on him, all who sat in the council saw his face was like the face of an angel. I've always wondered what that meant. That his face was like the face of an angel. I don't know what that looked like. Did they see innocence? Did they see power? Did they see his, his purpose, that his calling in, in, in life? But they saw something different. His radical faith gave him the strength to stand. Stephen was known for being full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, full of faith, full of grace, full of power. I really, really thought about asking you at this point, what are you known for being full of? But I decided not to because I was afraid you would tell me and then I was afraid you would ask me what I was known for being full of. But please notice this, it's always full of it's always full of, never does it say, Stephen had some faith. Stephen had a little bit of grace. He, he had a, a little power. No one said, you know, there was a time when in, in the right time, in the right moment, when everything was going well, you could really tell that the Holy Spirit was kind of with Stephen. It doesn't say that. 
Stephen's commitment meant that he was full, full of the Holy Spirit, full of wisdom, full of faith, full of grace, full of power. Stephen gave himself 100% to the work, 100% to Jesus. He gave his all. And the question for us is, what, what do we give? I'm preparing to come to the table, preparing to take, the, take communion. And when we come to communion, we realize that, that Jesus gave his all for us. He didn't give us just a little bit of, of grace. He didn't give us just enough sacrifice to squeak us by and get us into heaven. He poured his life out. His body was broken for us. His blood was shed. There was not a drop of blood left in his body at the end. We realize Jesus gave his all for us. And the only thing we can do is return and give our lives completely to him as well. I'm going to pray. We're going to sing a song and we'll take the Lord's Supper together. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. We thank you that in our greatest need, nothing was withheld. Lord, there, there was never a moment where you said, I don't think they're getting enough grace. <laughs> Lord, you poured out everything through your son. And we thank you for that. And today, as we take, as we take the bread that reminds us of his body broken, as we take the cup that reminds us of the blood that was shed for us, Lord, remind us that in the same way that Jesus gave his all, in the same way we can look at Stephen and see what he was filled with, Lord, we are called to give our all. We are called to be filled with your presence, filled with your grace, filled with faith. Lord, would you remind us in those moments of strength and especially in those moments of weakness that there's not a need that we have that the fullness of Christ doesn't meet. It's in his name we pray. Amen.